Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Empire State of Cannabis. Uh, we have a very cool, well, we have two very cool guests today. Um, to, we're going to really dive into the you know, intersection of culture and art and cannabis today uh, with Baba Israel. Baba Israel is a, the creator, librettist, co-director, and magical, mystical MC of uh, Cannabis of Viper Vaudeville, um, and Grace Galu, creator, composer, music director, and Sativa Diva. Hello. Welcome both of you to the show. We're so excited to be here. Great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, we're we're talking about a a production that that you put together, and the the description here is uh, it's inspired by Martin A. Lee's book, uh, which is Smoke Signals, A Social History of Marijuana. Um, it, the, the show is called Cannabis, as I mentioned, Cannabis of Viper Vaudeville. And it weaves the music of icons such as Bob Marley with the stories of grassroots activists, uh, Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary with personal narratives. From Congo Square to the speakeasies of the Jazz Age, from the revolutionary happenings of the 60s to the AIDS activism of San Francisco Buyers Club, our time-traveling tale invokes a tradition of rebel spaces, sites of music, healing, and resistance. It sounds so cool. Um, so uh, did I miss anything, guys, in terms of like you know what the, what the show is about? Um, I know it's just a little, little brief um, no, description think, there, but yeah. uh, sure, I mean, maybe you guys great, can kind of expand. You know, description. Yeah, yeah, we, we wrote it, so we love that description. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually good to hear it back because when, when you work on those descriptions, you never know how effective they are, but it actually sounded pretty good hearing it back. Um, the, only, the only thing that I would add is I that you know, for us, the piece explores a lot of history. You know, Martin is a brilliant writer. Right. He's also the executive director of Project CBD. Um, and was very instrumental in, in bringing CBD back into the fold, actually, a bunch of years ago. It was part of a team of folks in California that brought CBD back into the, into the space. Um, but, you know, I, I think the other thing, in, in addition to all that you shared, is that we're also really using the piece as a platform for current advocates and activists. So every show ends with a current cannabis activist advocate based here in New York, uh, who does a call to action and share some of their personal story about why they're in cannabis. So, you know, we've had an amazing mix of uh, different folks coming in and that will continue after every show. That's great. Uh, when does this show start um, and, and where? Okay. Well, the show has actually had a few preview nights already. Uh, so we began last week. Tonight is the official opening, which is also my 35th birthday. Woohoo! Oh, happy birthday. And to those listening today that we're recording is the 20th of, uh, of July. So. Yeah, and then the show runs uh, basically Tuesday through Sunday until July 31st. So we have you know, a full week of shows this week, and then we have a full week of shows next week. Awesome. Awesome. And, and where? It's uh, in Manhattan, right? It's at La Mama on 74 East 4th Street. Which is uh, 74 East yeah, 4th Street. The Ellen, right. Yeah, the Ellen Stewart Theater, uh, the La Mama Theater, which is like, you know, a theater with a really great history. And um, we're really proud to be there. Awesome. Yeah, it's my neighborhood. Actually, I'm on East 3rd um, between Avenue A and B. So I got to come check it out. Um, what was the inspiration uh, for y'all to, uh, to create this show? Well, I can share one thing and then I'll pass it to Grace. 
which is that, you know, when I read Martin's book, you know, I actually ran into Martin in Amsterdam. We were both coincidentally there. And, uh, you know, many cannabis uh, folks like to spend time in Amsterdam. Um, and we were there looking for the great John Sinclair, who is a longtime cannabis, you know, advocate, an artist, a poet, a radio uh, host, you know, who's now based in Michigan. But he was in Amsterdam at the time. And I bumped into Martin. He gave me a copy of his book. And when I read it, you know, the book opens in Congo Square with the story of, of, New, of New Orleans and, you know, uh, Louis Armstrong's connection to cannabis. And he really follows the journey of cannabis, uh, you know, through cultural figures, different historical figures. Um, and I felt like this book would make a fantastic performance. And we started to reach out to artists. And I met Grace Galou. Uh, she came in the studio and I just was blown away by her ability to create a sense of time travel through her voice and through her knowledge of the different uh, musical traditions of the African diaspora. And, you know, Grace came on board as composer and has really, uh, really written some beautiful music for the show. And I'll pass it to Grace just to share her thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, that's, that's part of the, you know, incentive for the show, but also the incentive for the show is that we deeply believe in making sure that there's nobody who is incarcerated for consuming or distributing um, this plant. So there is a celebration of legalization in New York City and, like, sort of the catharsis of that. And we started creating this piece when we were um, under fear of losing our jobs and our literally our, the custody of our children in order to create this piece. Um, so this piece is also a reminder that there are those still suffering and those who have been deeply taxed by um, the war on drugs and the war on cannabis specifically. So that is also why we have created this piece. That's, you know, I think that's a great point because now that, you know, cannabis is legal, it's it's easy to kind of get swept up into the, you know, especially, you know, someone who works in the industry and works with uh, businesses all the time on the regulatory rollout and get caught up in licensing and, you know, what's going to happen next. And, you know, if you, you know, being in, in New York right now, it's almost, it's almost difficult to imagine a time when you know, cannabis wasn't legal, even though that was, you know, um, less than two years ago. Right. But, that's important to know. And I think that's important for those in the industry, consumers, regulators, certainly to understand the trauma, the fear, um, and the damage that was done throughout prohibition. Um, and so as storytellers, right, where do you see our time right now in the arc of of the, the cannabis story of of New York and and the world, where 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 do you guys think we're at right now in July of, of 2022? What does that does that look like? Because it's not finished, right? The story isn't finished yet, just because we've legalized, right? Absolutely, um, we're still in this place of destigmatization and of um, education. So we still have found that just in promoting the show that there were many. Um, publishers who did not want to use the word cannabis um, in their articles or their headlines because of what that invokes. Um, so we are still deeply focused on destigmatizing the plant and educating those who were unaware as to why it was made illegal in the first place. Um, and our role now in the cannabis community is to make sure that those who are legally creating cannabis products 
have um, a diversity within that industry and that field and that um, we're supporting corporations that care about their workers and that employ black women. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, I think, as, you know, just building on what Grace has shared, I think we're in an exciting moment, but also a precarious moment, you know, and that's part of why we've made this show is because, as you mentioned, as the industry grows, as it rolls out across the country, both medical, recreational, depending on the state or both, um, we want to make sure that the, the history and, the, and the, the, you know, the activists and all of the challenges that have, you know, affected particularly communities of color, that that, that history is grappled with and that there are real world responses, both from businesses, but also from policymakers, regulators. Um, so we want to, you know, use this piece as a platform, you know, first here in New York, but we're also planning to tour the country. And it's going to be interesting when we tour to states that are not legal yet or they're just, that are just medical states. You know, we're excited to, you know, partner with local activists and local companies and, you know, in each state we've been in. Um, it's been exciting even, you know, to get the cannabis industry involved with this production. You know, one of our early, uh, you know, development processes out in California many years ago was sponsored by a dispensary called Emerald Farms in the north of California, where we were able to work with Martin Lee and, and you know, begin the initial process. Um, there's also a, a wonderful company, a, a cannabis research institute based in Jersey called Siri, um, who've been a sponsor of our run in New York and who are really committed to ensuring that there re remains a focus on medical research in the context of uh, recreational usage. So I think, you know, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time that adult use cannabis is becoming more accepted. Um, I think New York is positioned to be in one of the better places in terms of social equity, but it's going to take public pressure. You know, at the shows, we've been encouraging people to do public commenting in terms of the different regulations that are out now. And, you know, I think in terms of the audiences, I think maybe, you know, 5% have known about the Office of Cannabis Management or even knew that that process. So it's been good to see that we've been educating audiences. In terms of envisioning a future, I always made the comparison between cannabis and coffee, which is part of my consistent ritual, the cannabis coffee ritual. And I want the relationship to cannabis um, culturally to be one of that to, to coffee, where we can self-medicate, we can think about our own mood, our own body, our own fatigue, our own relationship to that plant, decide how much we want to intake or not. We can even realize, oh, I took a little too much, and regulate with that and have there be no stigma and have it be widely available and have the idea that it's psychoactive and the idea that it's chemical, and the idea that it's social and ritualistic uh, and recreational be all entwined into the culture. Yeah, so I think, yeah. you know, it's, I think, and then, you know, I think, you know, we talk about, as Grace mentioned, you know, we hope that this piece will be part of a cultural advocacy, you know, to move towards the end of federal prohibition, which is what we all need, uh, both on a social and uh, business level. Like, that's really what we need to 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 happen on a on a, a national level. So, you know, there's folks who've come. We've had a really mi interesting mix of audiences from like 20 people in their 20s to people in their 70s. And, you know, we've had some nice feedback from audiences, like some people are coming who are theater goers who have no connection to cannabis, who aren't coming to, you know, the events like Revelry and aren't necessarily plugged into the community here. And they're, you know, they're saying, I came here because I'm interested in theater or, and the arts. And I came here with a really different understanding of cannabis. Um, you know, we also have had folks educating about CBD, um, the importance of cannabis for elders, um, different, you know, uh, ways of ingesting. You know, there's been a real focus on that. You know, my mother has dementia, and, I've, and, you know, both Grace and I have been involved with her caregiving. 
and you know use cannabis. She's a medical patient, and um, you know that that's a theme in terms of personal narrative that comes into the show is the the way cannabis can be a really effective for for you know caregivers dealing with elders. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, you know destigmatization, and I think we have a long way to go to reduce stigmatization, especially around consumption, right? And you know, where maybe the public has moved from, okay, it shouldn't be illegal, people shouldn't go to jail. Um, I think we still have a long way to say, okay, it's socially acceptable for professionals to consume, for mothers to consume, parents to consume, right? Um, And uh, I I did notice that the event is a non-consumption event. Do you see potentially in, in the future as, you know, maybe, you know, the regulations evolve to, you know, to, to have, have an event such as yours be able to allow for consumption? Maybe it's not absolutely. smoking, um, but yeah. I mean, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, I, I remember going to coffee shops in Amsterdam for the first time and how exciting that was just to be in a social space. You know, I'm not a drinker, you know, um, and, but I, you know, I, cannabis is a very social plant and has always brought people together, you know, whether it's in jazz clubs or happenings or wherever it might be. Um, and so, you know, to be able to, to consume with others in a, in a safe way in, a, in an accepted way, I think is important for New York culture. And I think, I know there is talk about consumption lounges in regulations and licenses for venues. One thing we did in this case is we made an intermission and we have a very intentional smoke break. So, and, uh, you know, as, as the MC of the show, I encourage audiences to go down to the front of the theater and have a fully legal smoke on the street. Um, nice. And then myself and some of the other cast members come down there and join them. And sometimes we do a little spontaneous performance on the street as well. So, you know, that's been a nice way to uh, to sort of build that bridge. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice, playful way. But we did definitely discuss those sort of things, and we definitely wanted cannabis to be handed out freely, whether or not it was um, being sold. Um, and we had we met all of these um, really legitimate concerns around who could then sponsor the event, um, our own liability to um, making sure that anyone who consumed cannabis was of age, and was supported in their well-being, um, and it added a lot of different variables that were very legitimate and that we definitely want to take into account, but we did not have the budget for. Yeah, and, and there's also just not the regulations in place yet, but it's something that we'll, you know, I'm sure will evolve to and something that I think New York, I mean, I think New York, it's exciting. I mean, as a native, as both of us are, you know, native New Yorkers, we both grew up here. Um, and have been involved with cannabis advocacy and the arts and education for many years. So I think you know, I'm excited. New York is, you know, one of the cultural capitals of the world. And, and I think, you know, it's going to be exciting to see the synergy between the cannabis industry here, between community events, arts, creativity. Um, you know, I'm already seeing it. We did a trip recently to Massachusetts uh, with a good friend of ours named Brad Burgess, who's the artistic director of the Living Theater, to do some research because he's from Massachusetts and is connected to some cannabis companies there. And it was great to see, you know, there's a, a cannabis uh, dispensary in Boston, which has a social justice museum that is connected to it. Um, there's a, uh, a variety of cannabis dispensaries who often, you know, sponsor music events, sponsor events at theaters, uh, you know, have bands play and live art at their dispensaries. So, you know, I think that's a, a call out that we want to put out to the cannabis industry in New York as it, as it emerges is that cannabis and the arts have always been connected since day one. And 
some of the, you know, the best promoters of cannabis have been artists, you know, from Peter Tosh to Cypress Hill to, you know, Woody Nelson, Willie Nelson, and, and uh, you know, the, the list goes on. And so. vice versa, some of the best um, promoters of the arts have been cannabis too. And <laughs> we have discovered that a lot of what has promoted the arts throughout time has actually come out of the cannabis community. And there's been these wonderful dealers that have promoted these incredible figures in history. Um, and if you come see us, we will tell you more about it. Yeah. But it's, there's this fascinating history of the cannabis underground supporting um, these prolific artists. Absolutely. So that's kind of a, a hope that we have for the industry in New York, that it will really build a synergy with the arts because, you know, the arts have been hit hard by COVID. And I think, yeah. you know, cannabis is a way that can um, strengthen our city, you know. Yeah. And, and when we talk about revenue, right, you know, I've been to, you know, many venues and, you know, theatrical performances, comedy shows, you know, whatever, where alcohol is clearly an important revenue source, right? But and but but does it always fit? And it does it does it always fit every guest, right? I mean, you know, when you're there, you know, at a comedy show, you know, sometimes you'd probably rather consume cannabis, but you can't smoke there. So and and you're not gonna be able to smoke inside in, in any, you know, sort of um you know, it, it that's probably not gonna happen, right? But uh, there's an interesting initiative that has been, you know, being worked on by, uh, you know, Reggie Keith uh, from Canna House out in Buffalo, and and I've done some work with him on on the policy side, is actually allowing for a similar type of license as you do for alcohol, which isn't shouldn't be that hard to get for venues to be able to serve maybe limited types of cannabis products, whether this is edibles or beverages or, you know, vape vapes or, or, or something like that um, to serve it on site. And, and I think that, you know, and, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, but it sounds like that might be in an important revenue source for, for, for shows and, and venues, Absolutely. but also, you know, expanding your, your base of, con, of consumers and, 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 you know, being a little more open to, you know, people's different, um, you know, desires uh, for, for, for consumption as an adult, right? Absolutely. And, and as adults, too, we know that, you know, cannabis can be an amazing uh, addition to, you know, the perception of sight and sound and imagery and really uh, impacts your senses. So, you know, and our show is, our show is incredibly multisensory. I mean, we have, uh, we actually are um, putting in some terpenes into the air to create the smell of cannabis. We have 20-foot projection screens with really incredible um, original video projection uh, content that supports the storytelling. We're working with a, a visionary uh, lighting designer um, named Tuche Yasak, who, um, you know, really creates whole worlds with light. So there's, you know, we have a, you know, a four foot cannabis disco leaf that drops from the ceiling. There's five dancers, a seven piece band. Grace will, when you hear Grace sing, you will, your mind will literally be blown. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's really is a multi-sensory experience. And, you know, we've taken inspiration from, you know, the grow house as part of our lighting and environmental design. We have fans in the space and it's impacted our sort of color choices. Um, you know, it's a really immersive show. When audiences come, you can sit, you can lounge, you can sit at cabaret tables, you can get up and dance. It's very tactile as well. There's carpeting on everything. You can reach out and touch a plant. Mm reach out and touch your neighbor with permission <laughs> yeah it's a really immersive show you can you know you can obviously just sit back and, and watch but if, you, if there is a real sense that you can have a you know an immersive experience and it's uh you know we've been getting a lot of positive feedback from audiences that's amazing um you know as you were you know researching the show and and obviously you know diving deeper into 
Martin's book, um, what were some of the things that stood out to you in terms of, you know, the history of cannabis? I think there's a lot oh of like, you know, popular narratives, you know, people know, and you know, we talk about, you know, the jazz clubs and Harlem, except, but, but like, what were some of the, the interesting, you know, sure. things that people might not necessarily think about or know that, that came up? Well, yeah. one of the things that came up for me was that cannabis is not indigenous to the state. Um, and it actually wasn't even intentionally shipped here because of commerce. It was um, brought here um, by slaves, and it was hidden in their braids. Um, and so that, wow. knowing that really blew my mind in the sense that I understood the intention behind it. You're seeing your, the tribes around you being taken. You're understanding that you might be next, and so you're preparing you're thinking, what seeds do I need? What will help me survive in this, you know, random place that I'm being taken to? What is most important to me? And what was most important to them were cannabis seeds. Um, and they braided them into their hair. Wow. Yeah. Along oh, with, I did along, not know that. Yeah, along with okra <laughs> seeds and the rice, you know, other, other uh, agricultural items. So that was one of the ways that cannabis came to Brazil was through the, uh, through enslaved African folks coming here and, then it was, it was, you know, there were indigenous communities that were already involved with psychoactive plants. You know, so that was one of the pathways that cannabis came to the Americas. You know, there was also, you know, hemp from India that was coming. And as, as we, as not, and I, you know, this is something a lot of folks don't know that, you know, there were cannabis products being sold in pharmacies all through America in the 1800s. So there was this sort of dual pathway of, you know, hemp being brought in. There was uh, you know, obviously, and th those of us know that hemp and cannabis are the same plant, it has to do with the amount of THC, the amount of resin. But, um, you know, the, the, the whole journey of how cannabis got to the Americas. And then, and then also, you know, the fact that it was sold legally as a medicine and then rebranded as marijuana. Some people know that story, but there's definitely additional details that have come out through the research that Martin did. Um, you know, Definitely, as you mentioned, a celebration of artists like Louis Armstrong, who is what we call a viper, you know, which was a code word for a cannabis enthusiast in the jazz age and the inspiration for our title, Viper Vaudeville. You know, so that's that, that, you know, there's a, you know, and, and we sort of use jazz and grace as a beautiful reinterpretation of an Ella Fitzgerald song to answer Anslinger and to challenge Anslinger's racist propaganda. Um, I think one of the stories that Martin wrote about, which really moved me, um, was the story of Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary and the San Francisco Cannabis Buyers Club. It was not, not a history that I knew about personally. Um, and for me, it was such a powerful example of just bold, risk-taking, fearless activism, setting up a dispensary at a time where it was completely illegal and you know, responding to the urgency of the AIDS crisis at that time. Um, and then the, the really interesting mix of, you know, this queer uh, Vietnam veteran uh, working with this older uh, grandmother, you know, to really switch the narrative on cannabis. You know, I think that story, there was a lot of heart and a lot of community and a lot of um, upliftment in that story. And, and a, a, I think a lot of assertion of some of the important values of, of the cannabis culture. So that was a really great story to, to bring to life. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, the 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 origin of, of cannabis seeds coming here is also fascinating. Something I definitely didn't know. Um, and you know, social equity is this catch-all term that's used all the time in in the industry now. And you know, I think it's kind of going so. Like, well, of course, we should have a diverse industry, but you know, et cetera. But I think what is the term that's not used enough is restorative justice mm -hmm. around 
cannabis and legalization. Uh, you know, when we talk about um, the origin of cannabis seeds in uh, coming to America, uh, rooted in, 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 in racism and, and racist practice, prohibition, obviously rooted in racism, discrimination, you know, to, um, you know, AIDS activism in, in San Francisco um, and, uh, and, and Dennis Brown and discrimination um, uh, inflicted by the U.S. government. So, you know, you can't separate the two, even though that there's a lot of money to be made now and a lot of people would like to separate, you know, the, 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 the racist, um, you know, history and the racism rooted in, in prohibition. Um, uh, you, you know, that's, that's a part of the story. And, and, you know, th- thank you all for telling that. Um, how important do you think it is that regulators come and learn about this history and, and, and come to your show and, and understand this? It's, it's incredibly important. And I also, it's in, in the terms of prohibition, I am half Irish. I, um, half of my family is Irish. And my side of, um, the Irish side of my family, they were bootleggers. And it's something that's really important to our history because um, the bootlegging of my great-grandmother provided the money for the surgery, the gallbladder surgery of my aunt, um, and who was able to survive and live long past her life expectancy. And there's this pride in the Irish community around whiskey and bootlegging and um, Irish-American heritage in the United States. And there was actually a reparation for prohibition in the Irish-American community by the U.S. government. And it's part of why the Irish uh, industry in the United States has been supported because there was actually, um, there was, uh, <laughs> there was, um, I'm trying to look for the word, but there was money given to the Irish American community to to compensate for prohibition. So we know we know from our history that we actually can do that, um, and we know that we can do that from the the prohibition of alcohol. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of your question about regulators, I think it's essential. And you know, if there's folks that you're in touch with, you know, please, um, we'd love to have those folks be part of the conversation. I think it's uh, we got a lot of feedback that this this production is a really, um, you know, it's entertaining, but it's very intentionally educational. Um, you know, but I think in a way that is not didactic. It's a way that's like um, through storytelling, through music, through songs. You know, the majority of the storytelling is done through music and. You know, music is just, as we all know, it's just, it's, it's the way that we learn. It's the way that we teach children. It's, it's the way our brains are wired to learn. Um, there's something about song and about rhyme and about rhythm and poetry and that kind of language that just allows us to kind of transcend our, our biases and our barriers. Um, you know, and there's some really emotional stories, too. There's a, a song that Grace performs called No More Drug War which is a song that I wrote inspired by um, interviews that I did with um, veterans, you know, and it's specifically around uh, the role cannabis plays in, in veterans management of PTSD, you know, and, and that song is sung from the perspective of a mother who is not a cannabis user, but, but is someone that who loves their son and then cares about her son. And so I think there's a lot of different entry points. And I think also the music, you know, there's moments of, you know, uh, jazz styles from the 30s, there's hip-hop, there's reggae, there's, you know, blues, there's funk, there's rock, there's thrash. We go a lot of places, you know, so there's, you know, there's really something for, there's an entry point and a cultural reference for almost any audience to come and feel connected. Um, so, yeah, we'd really like regulators to be there and, um, you know, for, the, for them to experience this production and, and, and be part of the conversation. But also we, we, 
we have brought activists into the space every evening, and we've also celebrated the fact that a lot of the regulation and the law and the legalization of cannabis in New York City came from the community, from the inside out, and that we could not accredit it to people who reluctantly decided to sign these uh, legislation because it was under pressure or uh, financial pressure or um, societal pressure that this actually, this legislation comes from within the community. And so does regulation. Um, the idea that this like regulation is imposed by the man is something that we really have to reevaluate. Regulation comes from people who go, no, I want these products to protect my children and the elderly, and I want to make sure that when I consume cannabis, I know what I'm consuming. Um, so that we're also trying to proliferate that idea that regulation comes from the inside out. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. So how can people uh, find tickets um, and attend the show? It, it runs through uh, next Friday, which would be the 29th, oh, actually, correct? It actually runs through the 31st. Our last show the 31st. is the 31st. So the Sunday, the 31st, we have a closing matinee at 4 p.m. You can go to here, H-E-R-E dot org, um, or you can also go to La Mama. Um, and let me just make sure I have that site correct. Yeah, and um, and then you can also follow uh, you can follow myself Baba Israel on Instagram, or Grace Face Killa K I L L A H on Instagram, and the link to tickets is in both of our Instagram profiles. Um, but here uh, here theater, I just want to give them a big shout out. They are our uh, producers, and they've been with us um, you know on this journey for five years supporting the development of this work. They're an incredible arts organization. They supported the, the development of Eve Ensler, uh, of her work, of uh, Taylor Mack, of a lot of really important artists in the city. So, and then La Mama is a venue that has a, you know, a really important history in New York too. Um, so those are both great places to find information. So it's La Mama Experimental uh, Club, and I'm just finding their website. One second. Their website is lamama.org, L-A-M-A-M, yeah, lamama.org. And it's the first thing that comes up when you go to that site. And you know what? For your listeners, I'm happy to offer a discount code, which is DOPE, D-O-P-E, um, which will get you a little something off the tickets. Nice, nice. Well, we appreciate it. And Thank I'll you. be there. I'll be there next week. Yeah, so awesome. <laughs> well, please come say hi. I will. I will. And I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Um, and I hope to see uh, some listeners, um, you know, there at the show too. So uh, thank you all so much uh, for doing this, for putting this production on. This is so important, especially right now. But thanks for coming on the show too. It's our pleasure. We just want to also just quickly shout out our band Soul Inscribed who provide the music. And just to say that there's an incredible collaboration with a, a, a really a historical dance company called Urban Bushwomen. Um, three of their key members and their leadership team are part of the company, along with uh, a dancer called Twice Light and another dancer called Tatiana Barber. So just wanted to recognize some of those wonderful artists. Yes. And shout out to our director, Talvin Wilkes. And, you know, we hope to we hope to see you in the house soon. And, uh, you know, thank you for giving us opportunity. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for having us and letting us talk. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Right. And, and and you've been listening to another episode of Empire State of Cannabis. We're available on all the podcast platforms. So if you like and subscribe, you won't miss cool episodes like this one. Um, it is uh, produced and distributed by Cannabuff Magazine. Check them out. They've got a, a great um, issue coming out here towards the end of the summer. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.